George. Appreciate you sharing your testimony. So I remember uh, 10th grade English class uh, being required to write my first real research paper. I'm sure students are probably doing it in younger grades now, but back then, uh, 10th grade is where we started that. And teacher spent a fair amount of time explaining one of the major pitfalls to avoid, uh, an activity known as plagiarism. And she gave the definition, you know, act or practice of taking someone else's work or ideas and passing them off as one's own. And uh, since we didn't have, you know, home computers back in those days and the internet wasn't around or that kind of stuff, that basically meant the Encyclopedia Britannica. So, so her, her speech finally ended with, don't copy the encyclopedia. It was, it was where it came in there. But that got me thinking about my earlier writing career. And uh, I realized I was a major plagiarizer. Uh, in second grade, uh, my teacher, Mrs. Nato, uh, you know, read us some short stories and then told us we had to write our own short story. So I just took one of the stories I just got done hearing, changed a few minor details, and turned that in and got very high marks for it. So apparently at second grade, <laughs> Mrs. Dana was not worried about plagiarism at all. Uh, my mom kept that story. It's in the scrapbook to today. I've, I've always had this fear that the author was going to come by and sue me. Uh, hasn't happened so far. All of that to say that today's sermon is based on someone else's idea. Uh, in preparation for this whole series, I read a book called Small Town Mission by a man named Aaron Morrow, who happens to be a free church pastor somewhere in Iowa. And uh, he came up with this concept of four traps that kill mission based on the four major Jewish religious sects that were active uh, in the time of Jesus, which were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes. And so I'm, I'm using that idea and, and a little material, the, the heading, the headings for uh, each category in today's message, and I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Um, but a, a, as we get into the traps, I, I guess I should uh, explain first what, what is meant by the idea that they will kill mission. And, and basically, these traps boil down to a Christian's attitude towards those who are not yet believers. Um, it's an attitude that could be held by any particular individual or sometimes even by a, a whole church as a, as a group or organization. And if we harbor these attitudes, uh, it's going to make being on mission for Jesus nearly impossible because instead of having that heart of God that loves the sinner enough to die for him, uh, we instead would cling to this wrong attitude by which we, by and large, uh, shun non-believers. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave the Jews the job of spreading his word to the world, and they failed miserably at it, uh, primarily because of these four wrong attitudes. And now in the New Testament, he has given us that job. That's our mission. And so we want to be aware of these uh, so that we uh, can avoid that failure as the Jews did. So let's get started in that. The first trap that will kill mission is separating from non-Christians like a Pharisee separating from non-Christians like a Pharisee. During uh, his years of ministry on earth, uh, the main religious group that, that Jesus had the most confrontations with was the Pharisees. Uh, you come across altercations with them all the time as you read through the New Testament, uh, uh, the Gospels. And the Pharisees were not the largest 
a religious sect, but uh, at the time of Jesus, they were the most influential and powerful, exerting a huge amount of, of influence over all the Jewish people. Uh, and they were the religious conservatives uh, of that time, but they took it to the nth degree in everything they did. Life for them was all about holiness, and the way you attained holiness was by keeping all the rules. So in order to make sure uh, that they kept all of God's laws and rules, then they made extra uh, numerous, extra rules about every single one of His laws. So you have this one law of God, and then they might have six, eight, ten, twelve other rules around that one all about that. And those man-made rules became just as important and authoritative as God's own law, at least in their thinking. And the, uh, the Pharisees would have been the epitome of the holier-than-thou attitude uh, of people. They didn't think that ordinary believers were serious enough about observing the law. And, and of course, the way they uh, you know, uh, judged that was by the fact of whether or not these people were keeping all those man-made rules that they had made to go along with it. And so these other people that weren't nearly as strict as them, the, the Pharisees became very critical of them uh, to the point where in some cases they would consider themselves unclean even amongst other Jewish people because these Jewish people weren't being um, as rigid as they were in keeping all of their rules. Uh, that's one of the reasons why they got so mad at Jesus all the time because you know, Jesus frequently broke their little man-made rules and, and just irritated them to death. So, you know, if, if they thought that way towards other religious people, other religious Jews, uh, and, and they, you know, didn't measure up to that standard, imagine how they felt towards unbelievers, right? I mean, if they're, if they're looking down their noses and condemning other religious people because they just don't quite measure up to their standard, how are they going to feel about people who don't care about God at all? I mean, uh, they, they wanted nothing to do with those quote-unquote heathens, right? Not unless the heathen got themselves cleaned up and started keeping all the rules first. Well, then they, they would work with them. And, and the name Pharisee literally means separated one. And, and that's what they determined to do, to separate themselves from all the rabble of the world. They were convinced that one of the fastest ways to get themselves polluted by the world was to hang around with these non-believing people. So they took great care and went to extremes to keep themselves away from and protected from the world. So as Christians, we can fall into this same trap when we make all of our plans and do all of our activities and build all of our relationships in such a way that we end up staying as far away as possible from all those non-Christians. And you know, we, we may not even be doing it purposely or, or consciously. It might simply be a matter of comfortableness and convenience. I mean, we already know our Christian friends. We, we, we enjoy hanging around with them. We have so much in common with them and so little in common with these non-Christians. So maybe by default, we just end up 
you know, scheduling all our time with other believers. Or perhaps we do harbor some of the same prejudices and fears that the Pharisees lived on. Maybe we avoid non-Christians because we're afraid of getting contaminated. And again, I'm not, I'm not talking contaminated in the sense that we fall into sin personally. I mean, we know that we need to, uh, to retain our right relationship of obedience uh, to God no matter what uh, the people around us are doing. But, but I, think, I think we are fearful of our own reputation. What will other people think of me? If they see me, you know, hanging around in those places with those people. I mean, we can even make it sound spiritual, can't we? I mean, I'm being a good witness to them by not hanging around with those people in those places. But in reality, that's a whole lot more about us and our own personal desires and preferences than it is about being a witness. We all might have a little bit of Pharisee in us somewhere, might we? So what would God want to teach us about this particular attitude or trap to mission? Well, I think there's a couple of things, right? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, many a pharisaical Christian has used that verse to justify separating from the world. We want to hunker down in our protected Christian fortress and keep the world at bay, you know, surrounded by our safe Christian friends. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood. Church and Christian fellowship, deep Christian friendships, those things are vitally important. I mean, we need that support and encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the price of that should not be separating ourselves from the world. And and you can't use this verse to support separating because the very next verse, Paul goes on to say, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, for then you would have to go out of the world. You see, his point was you, you have to associate with the immoral of this world. I mean, that's the only way we can fulfill the command to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It's the only way that we can be on mission right here in Hot Springs. And Jesus made uh, almost exactly the same point when he prayed for us in John 17. Speaking uh, to the Father about us, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So as Christians, wanting to be like Jesus, that means that we need to be willing to be in the world, not of it, but in the world, associating with non-believers as he did for the sake of the gospel. Can we love people the way he did? The first step in being able to get rid of any Pharisee hiding in us is being willing to connect with those who need Jesus. Jude explained it like this. He said, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Guess what? In order to snatch someone out of the fire, you've got to be close enough to get burned yourself. Don't you? And notice the verse 
you know, emphasizes that truth that getting close to them does not mean that you are endorsing or approving of their sin. Like Jesus, we can love people, touch the unclean as he touched the unclean, having compassion for them in spite of their sin. But if instead we think like a Pharisee and simply shun those people and, and stay away from them, we kill mission. But that leads us directly into the second trap of mission, which is blending in with non-Christians just like a Sadducee. Uh, the Sadducees were the far liberal left in terms of the Jewish religion. They didn't want to take the Bible literally. Uh, you know, they wanted to bend and, and change God's laws to fit their lifestyle. Uh, they didn't uh, believe in the existence of the devil. They, they rejected the idea of a future resurrection for believers. But overall, the main characteristic of them is they were very, very keen on being accepted by everyone. They wanted and succeeded in being the popular ones. This was the largest uh, religious group. And, and they didn't want to uh, uh, say anything or do anything that would ruffle people's feathers. We'll just, oh, let, let's just let people be and do their thing. And they were perfectly willing to compromise God's standards in order to be accepted by them. So how does this apply to us? Well, the, the author of that small town mission book, he said this, quote, we fall into this trap when being loved and accepted by non-Christians becomes more important to us than Jesus and his mission." End quote. See, by that statement, he, he's assuming that we're not willingly uh, compromising to start with, right? I mean, if you're a Christian and you're living the exact same way that everybody in the world is living, there's an already a problem, right? Uh, if you don't see that as an issue, there is a, a, a much deeper problem that, than simply not being on mission. What he's talking about here is, is sincere believers who want to follow Jesus and, and do want to be on mission, but they are so concerned about what God, uh, others think about them that they end up compromising biblical standards just so they won't uh, be considered misfits or, or won't offend anybody. Uh, it might be in what seems like small ways at first. You know, laughing at vulgar jokes or maybe telling a few of your own so that you can fit in. Gossiping about the other co-workers behind their backs because, hey, everybody else is doing it. You know, things like that. All in the name of fitting in. So how does Scripture speak to this trap? Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So the Bible makes it clear that if we're afraid of man, either in what they will do to us or, as is more common here in America, what they will think about us, we're setting ourselves up for trouble. A snare was, was a, a small trap used to catch little animals to, to have for supper, right? If you want to blend in, eventually you're going to find yourself in a snare, trapped, between pleasing men or pleasing God. And if you have to make that choice, and of course we all have to, then Jesus gave us this instruction. It says, Do not fear those who 
kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, we need to think about it this way. If you can only please one group, God or people, well, what's the consequences of the, the, the choice you make, the group you choose to please? Shouldn't we be more fearful of displeasing God than any human? Or to put it in another way, who cares what people think about me as long as God is pleased with me? But people who fall into this trap have reversed that. They're more concerned about what people think. And if you're compromising to please people, you kill mission. Third trap to kill mission is ruling over non-Christians like a zealot. Now, the zealots were a small but very active party in Jesus' day. They wanted to enforce the standards of God's kingdom on everyone through political power, power and authority. And since Rome was in power, they did all they could to fight against Rome, including assassinations and riots and other violent and volatile activities. They wanted to enforce God's laws in order to make everyone in the country a more moral place. So, you know, the irony, of course, is that in the name of God, they would break God's laws in order to get people to follow God's laws. Of course, you could say their intentions were good and noble. I mean, this world would be a lot nicer place if all the nations uh, were following God's laws and doing His things, weren't they? Uh, They were a type of people who said, the ends justify the means. So the obvious application for us in this if we are more concerned about politics than people who need the lord we've missed the point if we think that all we need is the right candidates and elect enough good people and then this country uh, will become this wonderful place of moral living so you know as a result of that belief we pour all of our time and energy into the political system then we're falling into this trap and again, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We need Christians to be involved in government and the political process because policies and laws, I mean, affect us all, right? That's why I am a big fan of voting and encourage you to, to make sure you do that this week. We need Christian influence in politics just like we need Christian influence in the business world and, and, and film industry and every other part of society. But we must also realize that our mission is not dependent upon good government, as we would define a good government. In fact, if you look around the world right now, uh, you you will find that that the the most fruitful areas uh, for regular Christians to be on mission are in countries with very strong, oppressive, anti-Christian governments. I mean, the church over the last 50 years has been exploding in these countries where the government corruption and hostility towards Christianity is, is the norm. The answer is not in coercing or forcing people to follow God's laws. God's primary concern is not in changing a political system. The way Jesus works is in changing hearts. And that does not take a just or political system for that to happen. As nice as it would be to have that type of thing for us. See, God works one heart at a time. And it's as hearts change that that society changes for the better, right? 
That's what he said through Jeremiah. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and the good of their children after them. That's how society changes for good, is when God changes hearts. So we've identified three traps so far to avoid. Separating from non-Christians like a Pharisee, blending in with non-Christians like a Sadducee, uh, trying to rule over non-Christians like a Zealot. And the fourth and final one is ignoring non-Christians like an Essene. The Essenes were a devout religious group that they were just happy to keep to themselves. They withdrew from society, lived together in a commune, so you know all your neighbors would be believers just like you, and they blissfully ignored the rest of the world and all of its problems so that they could focus their time and energy on personal spiritual growth. And they figured that as long as they were isolated from the world, they could pursue their relationship with God unhindered by all the garbage going on in the world. And we can fall into this trap when we're so preoccupied about our own spiritual growth that we rarely think about the fact that there are non-Christians in our community who need Jesus just as much as we do. Uh, This is the one trap that I think might be the most dangerous in a solid Bible-believing church like ours. Because we can make ignoring non-Christians sound really spiritual. Well, I'm I'm not very strong spiritually myself, so I I need to focus on me and Jesus. Before I share my faith, I need to concentrate on going deeper with God. Uh, we, We really need to grow and be built up before we think about being on mission. I mean, doesn't that all sound really spiritual? And it's all ways to say, let's let's think about us and ignore them. I mean, there's a half-biblical truth in there, obviously. We, we do need to continue to grow spiritually in our lives. But you know, one of the best means of spiritual growth is to do what Jesus commanded and be on mission. Our Bible studies are good, but if they don't move us to be more intentional about reaching out and connecting with our neighbor, then somehow we've gotten off track. And the reality is any of these four traps can be made to sound spiritual, right? But having identified them, I would encourage you to evaluate yourself and ask, where am I at? Have I unintentionally fallen into any of these traps? And if so... What do I need to do to free myself from that trap so that I can be on mission right here in Hot Springs right now? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that in your word we, we can find what we need to be able to move forward, to walk securely in this world. God, we know that in this world we will face tribulation. But we take heart because you have overcome this world. So God, let us not be afraid of those who do not know you yet, but instead have the compassion and heart that you had. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.